Hi, my name is Barry, and you're listening to Faith Over Dementia. Hi guys, hope you're all well today and uh, welcome to episode 6 of the Faith Over Dementia podcast. Um, Today we're looking at Genesis chapter 3. So I think this morning what I'm going to do is get straight into it. Um, So we're looking at Genesis chapter 3 and previously uh, we saw in the creation story how this majestic sovereign deity, this Elohim, created the heavens and the earth and then ordered everything so that it may become his dwelling place with humankind. And how all this imagery is tabernacle or temple imagery. It's about God living with his people. Um, In fact, God wants to be intimately involved with his people because they are the crowning glory of his creation and as such reflectors or image bearers of that glory. And, And that's who we are. So this panoramic view of creation is followed by a complementary account of the creation of the human couple who are placed in the sanctuary of Eden and given dominion over this part of the creation. And when we stand back, we see that this picture is a picture of a sovereign, transcendent God who is mirrored by that of a God who is both imminent and personal. And these two portrayals of God, they balance each other, and together they provide a truer and richer description of his nature. Now, in a similar way, we see emphasised the regal character of, of the human beings, which is contrasted by their priestly status. They're truly made in the image of God. And it was very, very good. But now, we're going to see the sudden and and unexplained arrival of a cunning, talking serpent, which presents a challenge of immense importance to the human couple. You see, their choice will be obedient to God's word while continuing continuing to live in intimate relationship and harmony with God and his good creation. Or, the other choice is to disregard God's instruction. An act of willful rebellion that will have terrible consequences for that relationship and for the whole of creation for a long time. And as a result of this, God's good creation is thrown into disorder with chaotic effects that result in the disruption of all the harmonious relationships that God has previously established. So, 
I'm going to start with the last verse of chapter 2 through to verse 3 of chapter 3. And as usual, I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. So let's begin. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had created. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now immediately there's one thing that thing that jumps out at me here. God didn't say don't touch it. So what's going on? Is the woman adding to God's command? Now this is interesting you see because in Jewish oral tradition that actually teaches that it was Adam that added to God's command because the only way that Eve could have known the command that God gave Adam was if Adam had told her. Unless there's something else going on that we're not told about. So the conclusion is Eve is either making up an additional command or it was Adam that's making up the commandment. Something for us to think about perhaps. Let's continue with the rest of the chapter. Verses 4 to 24. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves loincloths. And when they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, meaning God, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, 
Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly shall you go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Wow. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. The Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live for ever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, as we look at the story, we ought to just pause here for a moment and ask ourselves some questions. What are the problems in the story? You know, our Western culture has taught us actually not to look for such problems. Don't ask any questions of the texts. No, don't do that. Resolve the problems as quickly as possible and move on. Yet... One of the things we looked at in Genesis 1 is the author is going to intentionally bury some treasure inside of the story. Remember the importance of the Sabbath last week in chapter 1? Here, the author is going to let you know where that treasure is buried by giving you a treasure map. And those treasure map flags are the things that stick out in the story. They are the problems that are in the story. One of the things that we have to get used to doing, the thing that actually 
we, we're not used to doing and don't really want to do is ask a question. Say, wait a minute, what are the problems in the story? Why? Because those problems are eventually going to lead us to the questions we ought to be asking to find out what the authors were really trying to tell us. So, what's the first problem that jumps out at us? Well, that's right. There's a talking snake. And 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 even stranger, the woman doesn't even to be surprised by this talking snake. Now, I know that if my dog suddenly started to talk to me, I think I'd freak out and run away. Crazy, no? And the question is, well, do all the animals in the garden talk? <laughs> now, there's a thought. I, I don't think they do. I'm always shocked to find out how very rarely we bring this up as a problem in the story. It's just one of the oddest details. I think sometimes, when you've heard a story so many times, you no longer pay attention to the detail. It's like it puts you to sleep. We have a talking snake in this story. And it's just weird, because animals don't talk. There is one other story in the Bible, in the book of Numbers, where there is a talking donkey. It's also really strikingly odd. But the whole point of that story is that the donkey shouldn't be talking. And in Genesis 3, nobody seems surprised at all about a talking snake, like it's perfectly normal. But it's not normal, and it should totally grab our attention. There's all kinds of other problems with this story too. First of all, the serpent attacks God's word. He says, did God actually say to you, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Well, no, that's not what God said at all. And there's, there's the whole thing about touching the tree in the midst of the garden. Where did that come from? And certainly... No mention of the tree of knowledge of good and evil at this point in the text by either of them. You know, on that note, if the man did pass on God's command about not eating from the tree, then surely on some level the woman had some idea about good and evil, and maybe death, before she ate from the tree. That's if. So, who's lying? And where did this serpent come from? Who is he? And why is he attacking God's word? Well, whilst there are some allusions to it in the Old Testament, it's not until the New Testament right at the very end we actually find that he's identified as Satan, the deceiver. So, the serpent not only directly contradicts what God has said, but goes on to present the fruit of the tree as something worth obtaining. 
by eating they will become like God, he says. But hang on a minute. Weren't we just told that they were made in the image of God? You know, this really is the oddest story. I'd tell you another thing that stands out. When I started to look at the structure of the story, I noticed that this part of the narrative, it starts with, it's not good for man to be alone. Then at the end of the story, Adam, Adam is essentially banished from the garden with Eve. Now he's not typically alone, but goes from Adam being alone to Adam being banished from the garden and ends up alone again. I don't know if you're noticing anything here. Well, we have another chiasm, which we talked about in other episodes. It's one of the road maps and treasure maps that the author uses to bury a treasure. What we have, essentially, is bookends. Adam being alone, then Adam being banished. Adam giving her name, woman, and Adam giving her the name Eve. Then the very next thing we're told about at the top of the story is the snake. And the very last thing to happen in the story is the snake gets cursed. It's, it's a pretty easy chiasm to follow. And if you follow the chiasm to the dead centre of the text, you find that the centre verse in this particular poem is that the eyes of both of them were opened and they realised they were naked. That's a really odd centre. Until you start to think about it. When you go back to the story, isn't nakedness a really, really odd, awkward detail? It makes us uncomfortable. Of all the things that God wants to tell us about, the male and the female, is that they were naked and they had no shame. Then, when they eat of the tree, all of the things that could happen, we're told that their eyes were opened and they realised they're naked. Then God comes along and says, where are you? And Adam says, well, I hid because I was naked. Of all the things that Adam needs to tell God right now, he wants to focus on nakedness. Then of all the things God could say, his first words are, who told you that you were naked? Nakedness is getting super awkward here. It shouldn't be this prominent. And yet, this part of the story is a story about nakedness. The whole story is about nakedness. There's something else that we have to understand about the Hebrew text. And you won't hear this in English. The word for naked in Hebrew is the word arom, A-R-O-W-M. Later in the story, it's going to turn from naked to nakedness. And that word in the Hebrew is erom, E-R-O-W-M, naked. 
arrowum, nakedness, erowum. Then one of the words that you don't hear is in verse 3-1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Now the word for crafty is eruum, E-R-U-W-M, eruum. And this is significant because if you're hearing this story, which of course you were in the ancient world, you were not reading the story. They didn't have the printing press then. So you're you're hearing it. This is not meant to be a read word. It's going to be a heard word, a spoken word. If you hear it, these words come from the same root base. They're almost indistinguishable. You're almost going to have, have, have the person hearing you, if you're reading it, tell you to stop the story and say, OK, wait a minute, say that again. Did you just say the serpent was the most naked person? No, the most crafty. Oh, OK. It's such a similar sounding word that it should stand out to us. And when you look at this story, you also realise that the serpent has taken on oddly human char- characteristics. He's talking. This serpent also appears to be reasoning. He's having a very logical argument with the woman. So he's not just talking. The serpent is also actually quite smart, intelligent, if you will. The serpent is trying to relate with the woman. In fact, in Jewish culture, it's taken that the serpent is actually trying to usurp Adam's role, which could open up a right can of worms, as well as attacking the word of God. Then there's the fact that the serpent is walking. What? I hear you cry. This serpent's not walking. That's just ridiculous. Well, is it if you think about it? Because if you remember in verse 14, as well as being cursed in Hebrew, arur, another one of those similar sounding words, if you remember that he was cursed above all livestock and beasts, the serpent is going to crawl on its belly and eat dust all the days of its life. Meaning the snake was not crawling on its belly before, possibly. I'll change to calling it uh, from a serpent to snake now, because that's um, typically how, how we refer to it. So the snake is walking. The snake is talking. The snake is reasoning. The snake is relating. This snake appears to be incredibly human-like. And yet, we're told clearly that the snake is a beast. Our story makes this incredibly clear, which raises the question about nakedness again. What is the real temptation here? What's the temptation that the snake actually issues towards Eve? The snake says, did God actually say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? 
Now, what's interesting here is where we put the emphasis in that statement, because when we read it in English, I think sometimes we emphasize the word actually, or in your uh, version, it may say really. But in Hebrew, you cannot put the emphasis there because it doesn't make sense. So it's impossible. The emphasis, as you read it in Hebrew, has to rely on the word say. So did God really or actually say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did God really say that? Which is an interesting way to hear that phrase and to hear the question being asked because the emphasis changes the statement. The entire tone of the sentence changes that statement to that's not true at all. The snake's temptation with Eve is to put in her mind God would never have put you in a garden with all of these trees if he didn't want you to enjoy it. Pleasure. Now let's pause the story right there for just a moment and ask ourselves, well, that's all very well, but what's the difference? This snake is looking awfully human-like and yet we know the snake is a beast. So the question is, why did God say it's not good for Adam to be alone and then make his first project naming all the animals? Why was that God's first assignment to Adam? Again, this whole story seems to be about not just nakedness now, but the fact that human beings are not beasts. The snake is not human, even though he looks, walks and talks and reasons and relates like one. He isn't one. This whole story is about what it means to actually be a human. So we're talking about dignity. This part of the story is about Adam. It's not good for you to be alone, but you're not an animal. So I've got to teach you that you're not an animal. This whole story is about being what how being human means that you're not an animal. What's the difference between being a human and an animal that would still work in Genesis 2 and Genesis 3? I think the reason that we typically come up with, they don't really work in Genesis 2. To be human means that we have an intellect and an ability to reason. That's fair enough. But that doesn't work with Genesis 3 because the snake is reasoning. Now bear with me on this because it is going somewhere. So when God made us, he made us in his own image. Which begs the question... What does it mean to be made in the image of God? One of the names for God is El Shaddai. Maybe you've heard of it. We sometimes translate that to God Almighty. But there is also another Hebrew thought that is it is able to be translated the God who knows when to say enough. So El Shaddai can also mean the God who knows when to say enough. 
which is really interesting because that's exactly uh, what the God that we met last episode, if you remember, said about himself. He is a God who knew when to stop creating. Enough. It is very good. We had six days of creation. Then he rests. This is a God who knows when to stop, when to say, enough. When God created this garden and put Adam and Eve in the middle of it, he says, I want you to help me take this creation somewhere. I've got this good creation loaded with potential and we can do anything we want with it. But I'm going to put this tree in the garden because I need you to know that you're not an animal. You're a human being. You're made in my image. And I need you to know how to say enough. I need you to know your desires are actually good. Our desire to eat is a good thing. Keeps us alive. Our desire to drink. Thirst is a good thing keeps us alive our desire to sleep likewise is a good thing their desires are not evil desire is a part of who we are but desire is to be managed with dignity the woman looked and saw that the tree was to be desired to make one wise desire all of a sudden entered the story We have desire at play now. We have this God trying to teach his people you are not a beast. You're not an animal. And a snake that's saying, Eve, it's okay. You're just a beast. You have desires in you. And you won't die. So it's good. Let me tell you, you will never find a beast practicing self-restraint. You're never going to be out in the woods and find a deer that's out there going, Dad, you know what? It'd be good for me today just to pass on a meal. I might shed a few pounds. Nah, a deer is always going to eat. When a deer is hungry, it eats. Likewise, when a beast is in mating season, it mates. The defining characteristic of what it means to be made in the image of God is that we are people who know how to harness our creative powers and our desires just like the God who made us. This God is inviting Adam and Eve to the very same invitation that he invited us to last episode in the story of creation. He is inviting Adam and Eve and also us to just trust me Adam and Eve. Just Trust me, Adam, I made this creation good. There's everything that you need. You need to know when to say enough. You need to know when to say, I don't need any more because God's given me everything I need. Just don't believe that God is holding out on you. Everything you need is right here. The snake says, No, of course not. 
You're just a beast. You're just an animal. You're hungry. You want to eat. That's exactly what you should do. Ruach. Breath of God. God breathed his spirit into the man and he became a living being. And the last mentioned fruit of the spirit in Galatians 5, the one of us, most of us like to forget, well that's self-control. And the thing is, Adam actually had it because God breathed his spirit into him. You know, it's the most defining of all the fruits of the Spirit because that's what makes you and I most like God. It is your ability to harness your, well, we're not talking about willpower here. We're talking about that piece of the divine that resides in you, God in you. It's not about willpower. It's about trust it's about not letting your desire be the narrative that you're going to listen to it's about letting in God's invitation of you're loved you're valued you're accepted you have everything you need another thought about the story I find interesting I find it interesting when Adam gives names to his wife. The first name is Isha. Adam's Ish and she's Isha, woman. And Isha speaks of who she is. It's her essence. She is the piece of me that is now missing. She was taken out of Adam. She's the piece that's missing. She is Isha. And what I find striking is, after they've eaten from the tree, he names her Hava, Eve, which refers to what she can do. The mother of all the living is what Eve means. But in their beautiful, in their good, pre-fall state, Adam is enamoured with who she is, not with what she can produce. And after the fall, after their eyes open, after they experience the shame, all of a sudden he becomes enamoured with what she can do. And another thought while we're talking about this, the couple, after they had disobeyed God's commandment, hid among the trees and from the presence of God as he was walking he called out to Adam where are you does God like not know where they are is he confused or something where are you of course he's not I think what he's really saying here is Adam and Eve you're not where you're supposed to be you're supposed to be walking with me in the garden you're supposed to be by my side you're not where you're supposed to be where are you and what we have to deal with is the shame or do we remember the question that God asked Adam after 
he says, I heard the sound of you and I was afraid because I was naked. I knew we were naked and I hid myself. What does God say next? Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The first words out of God's mouth are, Who told you you were naked? I think God's question is absolutely brilliant here because they were naked the whole time and it wasn't a problem. He says, I created you naked. Why is all of a sudden being naked a bad thing? You were naked before. You know, I just love that question. Why have you become ashamed of how I created you? Is what God's saying. And the next part of that question was, have you eaten from the tree? And I don't think God is looking for a simple yes or no answer here. I think what really lies behind behind it is he's saying, what voices have you been listening to i created you naked and i told you you were good and now all of a sudden you are ashamed the very way i created you what other voices have you been listening to and essentially what um, god gets back is adam saying well it's not my fault because it's the woman who you put here with me in the garden And then the woman says, the snake deceived me. And I should imagine by this point, the serpent gets his Nikes on and tries to make a quick exit as soon as possible. Well, no such joy. Seriously, this is a question that rings in everyone's ears, or at least it should do. What voices are you listening to? And the invitation for us is not to listen to the other voices that tell us to be ashamed of the person that we are. Because the person, or the people that we are, is the person that God created. He made you in his image. You are loved, you're valued, and you're accepted. And he invites us to just rest in that. God says... Just join me in Genesis 1, in the Sabbath rest, Shabbat. Just trust the story. Just trust me. Don't listen to any other voices. Just trust that you have everything that you need and be fine in your nakedness. The people tried to cover their shame With fig leaves. It didn't work. They still felt shame. We need to trust God. What amazes me here is God God doesn't respond by trying to just fix their misconceptions. He meets them just where they are in their shame. And he sews them clothes from skins I just love that. The first act of God is an act of benevolence. Nevertheless, to sew clothes from skins meant something had to die. To temporary, temporarily cover their shame. A life for a life. 
a theme we will see repeated throughout the Old Testament to cover the shame of sin, which I'm sure you know sin means falling short of a target or a goal, in this case the one set by God. Just one. And even though there was banishment, pain and the cursing of the creation, Banishment was yet another benevolent act by God to prevent the people from eating from the tree of life and so being stuck forever in this sin and shame. And separation from God is also going to be only temporary. It's always God's desire, his intention to be intimate or be involved in intimate relationship with his people. He loves us and he wa- his desire was for Adam and Eve to be walking with him in the garden, discussing the creation. What is it you did today, children? He wants to be in relationship with his people. And in the last part of that text, there's a promise. And there's a promise because of all this despair, right in the middle of it. The promise of a saviour. God hears our shame. He sees our shame. And in love he benevolent, benevolently gives us comfort. Because he was and is and will always be the hero of this incredible story. From the beginning to the end. Because he's full of love, compassion. He rescues, he redeems, he renews and we look forward to new creation. But again, not before things take a turn for the worst. There's so much more in this story we haven't touched on. And at some point, as I've said before, we're going to come back to to this uh, part of Genesis chapters 1, 2 and 3 and, and look at some of these things from a different perspective and look at some of the things that, that I haven't uh, managed to talk about. There's just so much. Um, but I just wanted to make uh, those points perhaps Uh, from a a, a different angle so i hope you've enjoyed uh, the podcast uh, so far today um next time we're going to be looking at genesis 4 the story of uh, cain and abel so um get your bibles out read the story and and we'll talk about it next time in the meantime i just want to say May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and in these days give you peace. God bless you.